0: Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. I want to welcome all of you to the Oasis Church. We are so glad to have you here this morning. And especially if we have any visitors here with us this morning, we want to extend a very warm welcome to you. Before we get into the message this morning, just a reminder that... um, This coming Saturday, September the 16th, is our seminar on the book of Revelation, starting promptly at 10 o'clock, going till 2 o'clock. We now have 150 people registered for the seminar. Yeah. And today is the last day to register. So if you would like to get in on that, uh, we would love to have you be a part of that. I think it's going to be a very... uh, very momentous day on Saturday. Uh, so we're glad about that. And then next Sunday, we'll have another standalone message sort of surrounding the book of Revelation. In fact, uh, for the next two Sundays, we are suspending our series in the book of Philippians, and we'll come back to that uh, on September the 24th. Um, before we, uh, obviously get into the message this morning too, I know that if you're like us, you may have family and friends, uh, being affected by that, uh, hurricane there in Florida. And, uh, so I would just like to take a moment before I begin my message today to be praying for those folks too. Uh, they are certainly on our minds and, uh, in our prayers during this time. So could we just pause for a moment and pray for them? Lord, we, uh, we are so thankful that we get to talk to you, the God of the universe. And that, Lord, we're talking to one who loved us so much that you purchased us with your own blood so that we could be in a relationship with you. And God, we know that you are here this morning. That you manifested yourself and moved through our worship time. And Lord, now you want to speak to us through your word. I pray that all of us have come here this morning with ears that are ready to hear. And so God, we just ask that you would speak. For your people are listening. And God, as we're here in the comfort of our auditorium in Arizona, we want to pray for all of those in the path of this hurricane. We pray, God, for physical safety. And we also want to pray for just emotional and spiritual strength. For all of these folks who are going through this and being affected by this. God, we can't help but think of of the words of Jesus. Who said that physical and emotional and spiritual storms will come into our lives at times. But if we are wise enough to build the foundation of our life on you. And on what you have said then we are on a firm foundation, a rock that cannot be moved, cannot be overthrown. And so, God, I pray that folks would, maybe even through this terrible tragedy, consider the foundation of their life and that Christians' faith would be strengthened in you And that God, even through this storm, you could draw people to yourself. That people might come to realize what's really important and of real value. And Lord, I ask today that over this next week, as we talk about end times and the last days and prophecy, God, that You would certainly use it in our hearts to draw us closer to You. Again, Lord, we ask You to speak to us as we listen to Your voice this morning. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, is where we're going to begin this morning. And as you're turning to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, this is obviously a little bit of a departure from the way I usually teach the Word. Usually I am just going down through books of the Bible and passages and we're just explaining the text as we go. But this morning I I felt really led of the Lord several months ago that when I decided to do this seminar on Revelation... To sort of bookend it with two messages. And today's message is going to be on why I believe we are living in the last days. The world is in trouble, and everybody knows it. There is a growing sense around the world of uneasiness when thinking about the future. And so many people around the world are filled with fear and uncertainty about what is to happen. And yet the Bible teaches us that the things that God has revealed to us, He has revealed to us for our instruction so that through endurance and through encouragement of the Scriptures, we may have hope. Hope instead of fear. Hope instead of uncertainty and uneasiness. Because our hope is in the one who the future of this earth, he has in his hands. And he has a predetermined plan and purpose for this earth. And his plan will be carried out Therefore, for those of us that place our hope in God and in what He has revealed to us, we don't have to be filled with uncertainty and uneasiness and fear regarding the future. Even though we don't know maybe all that's going to happen, we are trusting in the One who knows what is going to happen. You see, when God gives us prophecy in the Scriptures... Prophecy is not given to us to scare us. It is given to us to prepare us. In fact, Jesus, many times when he taught on him coming back, he would continually say to his followers, be ready, be prepared, for you do not know when the Son of Man will come. And I will come at a time when you are not expecting me to come. Prophecy is not given to us to frighten us, but to invite us. God wants to draw us closer to himself, and yet he wants us to be prepared and ready for his coming. And to be aware of the times and seasons in which we live. One thing you will not hear from me at any time when I talk about prophecy is trying to predict the exact time of Jesus' return. Because the Bible clearly says that no man, in fact, Jesus says this in Matthew 24, 44, no man knows the hour or the day. No man. So can I tell you, anytime you hear of someone, I don't care who it is, out there saying, I know exactly when Jesus is coming, you can pretty much mark it down, that's not when Jesus is going to come. But what the Bible does teach us, is even though no one knows the hour of the day, we can as believers be prepared and ready for his return because we understand the season of time in which we live and we are observing the signs of the times. And we understand that it's getting closer and closer and closer. In fact, that's why, first of all, I wanted to direct your attention to this passage in Matthew chapter 16. Here in these first four verses, Jesus is talking about signs that would accompany his first coming. Not his second coming, his first coming. Listen to the word of God. Now when the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He said, when evening comes, you say it will be fair weather because the sky is red. And then in the morning it will be stormy today because the sky is red and darkening. You know how to judge correctly the appearance of the sky, but you cannot evaluate the signs of the times. I would mark those five words in your Bible somehow. The signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Then he left them and went away. Jesus is talking here to the religious leaders of Israel. To those that should have known. Here's the Messiah. He, They should have known all the signs and prophecies pointing to his first coming but like most people in jesus day they missed his first coming they didn't know he was even coming and even when he was standing before them they didn't recognize the signs that were right there in front of them notice jesus says even though you are the religious leaders of israel you do a better job at being a meteorologist than you do a spiritual advisor because you at least have enough wherewithal that you can observe and consider how the sky changes and you can sort of figure out by that what the weather's gonna be. He said, but it's very sad that I'm talking to a group of people that not should, should have not only known the signs and prophecies pointing to my first coming, but you should have been teaching others about it as well and preparing them. But you have been totally now caught off guard and you have been totally unprepared for my first coming. By the way, in the Bible... There were 109 signs or prophecies pointing to the first coming of Jesus. And every last one of them were literally fulfilled. Every last one. From the fact that he would be born of a virgin and born in a city called Bethlehem. Uh, that he would ride into Jerusalem on a colt, that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, that he would be crucified, that he would be buried in a rich man's grave. I mean, on and on we go. 109 prophecies literally fulfilled in Jesus' coming. In fact, Daniel even, in the Old Testament, in his book, actually prophesied as to the exact time the Messiah would arrive that there would be so many years passed from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of the Messiah at his first coming. Unlike his second coming, everyone should have known the exact time of his arrival. Which is why when you think about Christmas, which is only a couple months off... That's why when you think about the Christmas story, why were these wise men from the east, why were they even looking for a sign? Because they knew from the book of Daniel, he's supposed to come now. We need to be looking for him. They were ready. They were prepared. But most people were not ready or prepared for his first coming, even though God clearly gave them all of these signs and prophecies pointing to when he would come. Well, if there were 109 prophecies given about his first coming, there are 300 prophecies in the Bible or signs as to his second coming. And so I'd like to leave now Matthew 16 because you'll notice here That Jesus isn't going to give them a sign. First of all, he's given them all these signs. They just are not ready to receive it. So Jesus, in a sense, pronounces judgment. He said, I'm not going to give you a sign. I'll tell you this. God's going to give you one last sign. The sign of the prophet Jonah. And if you study that, he's simply saying, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish... The Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. And basically he's saying, I'll give you one last sign, my resurrection. If you don't believe in me and what God has revealed after I rise from the dead, there's nothing more that God could do than give you that sign that just sort of smacks you in the face. But then I'd like you to turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 21. If Matthew 16, Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, beginning at verse 25. If Matthew 16 was Jesus talking about the signs that would accompany his first coming, then Luke 21, beginning at verse 25, Jesus is talking about some signs that will accompany his second coming now again just for the sake of volume and time and not overwhelming any of us including myself we're not going to look at all 300 signs or prophecies all i did was try to allow the spirit of god to lead me to just a few today but just as there were 109 signs or prophecies literally fulfilled pointing to Jesus' first coming, there are 300 in the Bible pointing to his second coming. And so notice what Jesus says here in Luke 21, verse 25. And by the way, as I read verse 25, does it not send chills up your spine when you read the word of God, and you think about even what's happened here in our country in just the last month. There will be signs in the sun and moon and stars, and on the earth nations will be in distress, anxious over the roaring of the sea and the surging waves. People will be fainting from fear and from the expectation of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man arriving in a cloud with power and great glory. But when you see these things begin to happen, stand up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Now, just like in Matthew 16, I wanted you to mark in your Bibles the words, the signs of the times. Here in this passage, I'd like you to mark in some way the word begin. Notice Jesus says, when you begin to see these signs. In other words, Jesus reminding us that... History and even the, the advent of these signs and prophecies that will accompany his second coming do not happen in a vacuum. The stage is already being set. It's not like all of a sudden the stage is there and it's all set. It it begins even before he comes back. And why is God then informing his people? who are interested in what he has to say about this, so that we can be prepared and ready for his return. And so that you and I can be ready to meet Jesus. That's why he says, lift up your heads. Your redemption is getting ready to draw near. It simply means that we are very soon, for those of us who believe in Jesus, to being unloosed, if you will, from our flesh and blood, our body that holds us back. And we are getting ready to be unloosed and set free from this earth and to go to be with Jesus. When you begin... Let me use our stage this morning as an example. You all that came to the service this morning, when you walked in, all this was set up already, right? But it was being set up at 7 o'clock this morning. There was a group of people that came really early, got all of this set up, tested it, went through practice. All that was done ahead of time. And then the event happened, if you will, when we all came. Well, that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that when you begin to see certain signs and prophecies take place, you know that the groundwork, the foundation, the stage is already being set. So get ready. Because once he finally arrives, then it's too late. Too late. So what are some signs that we can point to to get us to a place where we truly embrace and believe we are living in the last days? Well, one, even right here in verse 25, is there are signs in nature. There are signs in nature. Whether you're talking about earthquakes, whether you're talking about hurricanes, floods, natural disasters of any type, the Bible teaches us that there will be a growing rapidity to these natural disasters and a growing intensity to the natural disasters that will hit the earth. Paul said in Romans 8, That creation, because it's under the curse of sin, is literally waiting for the revelation of the children of God. And that creation, under the curse of sin, is literally groaning and suffering and will be until God comes and straightens it all out. And so... Just look at the signs in nature that are all around us all the time. And I think we can see that, yes, it's very possible that the stage is already being set. Another great sign that we are living in the last days and one that Christians, I think, don't focus on enough is the rebirth of the nation of Israel. The rebirth of the nation of Israel. Every prophecy of end time events assumes an Israel back in the land. And for many centuries, Christians even sort of wrestled with, man, all all this is supposed to happen, but there's supposed to be a nation of Israel, and there is none. You realize, for 1900 years, the nation of Israel did not occupy the land. They were spread, the Jews spread to over 70 countries in the world for over 1,900 years. And yet, the prophet Isaiah prophesied that in one day, Israel would be born as a nation. And God even said, have you ever heard of such a thing, a nation being born in one day? And yet on May 14th, 1948, Israel was reborn. And Israel became a nation once again right where God said they would in the land that he had allotted to Abraham a long time ago. 1900 years. 70 nations. Who could have done such a thing? In fact, Ezekiel in Ezekiel 37 prophesied that God would literally resurrect the nation of Israel. That's that whole dry bone thing. And he did. And so many, even Christians, don't realize the magnitude of what God did and the fact that here is a sign smack dab staring us in the face pretty much every day and we ignore it. There had to be an Israel for all of these other prophecies to take place. And guess what? Anytime after 1948, there they are. There they are. So the rebirth and existence of the nation of Israel, a, a really, a miracle that only God could have done. I mean, who else? How can you explain? all these scattered Jews all over the world for 1,900 years, and then God begins to bring them back. And by the way, I don't know whether you keep up with this or not, but there's now probably uh, as many Jews back in the land, and they are continuing to flood back to the nation of Israel more than they have since the time of Jesus. That's significant. Why are all these Jews feeling like you know what, we've got we've to leave our home in America or leave our home in France or Russia or whatever, and we've got to go back to that land. Who's drawing them there? I'll tell you who God is. God is. Because it's not the safest place to be. Which leads me to my next sign. And that is the growing unrest in the Middle East. The growing instability and unrest in the Middle East. Now, obviously, since I've been born, since I've been alive and could understand news and all that kind of stuff, I understand what you're saying. It's always been that way, right, throughout our lifetime. The Middle East has always been a powder keg, yeah. But the Bible teaches that as we get closer to the end of days, as we know it, that that Region is going to become more and more and more unstable and at unrest. And we used to think, even as Americans, well, you know, you got all these crazy dictators over there in all those countries, which makes it bad. Then you add in our lifetime the rise of all these terrorist organizations, which obviously just accentuates it all. By the way, being a student of history... I came to learn that none of those nations that now surround Israel and ever did never have had a form of any kind of democratic government. If you study history, that's the same conclusion you'll come to. None of those nations have ever had a democratic government, and they never will. And that region of the world is one that we always need to keep our eye on. You see, the Bible teaches that end-time conflicts are either born out of or centered in the Middle East. Always. You study all 300 prophecies of Jesus is coming and you will find that they're always connected with the countries and the situations around Israel or with Israel in that part of the world. Read Ezekiel 38 and 39, where God informs us of the nations that will rise up against Israel in the last days. They are the very nations that we hear about in the news Every week here, even in America. And the prophet Zechariah tells us that the city of Jerusalem will become a cup of trembling. All the nations and peoples of the earth will be assembled against it. You see, all those nations have one desire. And that is to wipe out the Jewish people in the nation of Israel. In fact, you don't even have to take my word for it. I'll share something that you can go back 10 years ago on YouTube and you can see for yourself from a news organization that you and I would not deem as conservative or Christian at all, NBC. About 10 years ago, one of their leading correspondents, and you know him by name, his name's Richard Engel. He's always over there in a lot of times the Middle East. He came back for an interview with, at the time, the lead anchor of the NBC Evening News, Brian Williams. And Brian was talking to him about, because he had been embedded with Hamas for many months. And it, you could tell it even took Brian Williams by surprise. He was like, well, Richard, what, what, what's the end of all this going to be? What do those people really want? And you know what Richard Engel said, and this was 10 years ago? He said, they want the end of Israel and the jewish people that that if you ask them what do you want more than anything else that's what they'll tell you that's what a news organization said that wasn't some pastor that said that that was an nbc news correspondent and that's exactly right that's going to continue to happen in our day and age Israel is going to be that lone entity over there. And all those nations are going to start even getting more and more determined to get rid of Israel and wipe them out. The next sign I want to share with you is the realignment of Europe. Even in our lifetime, the formation of the eu and even though again in the last few years you've seen in britain where you know maybe they want to get themselves out or all this i know this for sure that the bible teaches that there will be some form of a unified europe see the book of daniel establishes with certainty that a unified europe will rise out of the ashes of the old roman empire in the end times And the whole idea of the EU is to reshape the face of Europe. To reestablish itself as, if you will, the center of world government. I don't know whether you got this or not, even from not only this president's visits to Europe, but even our past president's visits to Europe, that they really do feel over there like that they can run the world better than anyone. That's not by accident. The motto of the European Union is many nations, but one voice. Isn't that interesting? It's almost like trying to humanly reverse the Tower of Babel. God said, I got to spread you out and separate you because when you come together, all you want to do is evil. By the way, the population of the European Union is now greater than America and its gross gross national product is now greater than ours as well. And Daniel predicts that it is going to be out of this united Europe that the Antichrist will rise. Many people ask me, "Who the Antichrist going to be? Well, first of all, I don't know. Nobody knows. And if you're around to find out, that's bad. I tell Christians, you don't want to know who the Antichrist is. You're going to be in heaven with Jesus when the Antichrist is revealed. And if you do stay behind, you've been obviously left behind, and that's not good. Don't worry about the identity of the Antichrist. Fall in love with the real Christ. Embrace Jesus. But the Bible does say that it will be out of this European confederation of states or nations that the Antichrist will one day arise. The next sign doesn't cause me any pleasure, but I believe it's one that as Americans we need to face. And too often as Christians, we don't face this next sign, and that is the reduction of the United States. It is no secret that our influence and impact in this world is continually receding. And one of the questions I also get asked, most of all, about prophecy is, is the United States in prophecy? Can you point to a place in the Bible where you see evidence of America? And the answer is no. And I believe that the silence of the Bible concerning our nation is deafening. Now, folks, I'm not here to say, well, let's just throw up our hands and give up and all of that. I'm saying we need to do everything we can as God's people to pray for our nation and our leaders and get involved and try to to keep this country as God-fearing and stable as we possibly can. But there is a real clarity from the Bible as to we're going to have a very diminished role Come this time in history. Now it also may be that the rapture really is sort of that last uh, event that takes America even further down, if you will, in what kind of influence or impact we have in the world. But I want to share some sobering, cold, hard facts with you and I this morning. Again, knowing that I love history, it's one of the things that I've done over the years. There's two great reasons why great powers throughout history have fallen. Two great reasons. One, this debt explosion that countries incur. And secondly, a weakened military to where they cannot defend themselves adequately any longer. In fact, if you study history, the average age of the existence of the world's greatest civilizations since the beginning of time is only 200 years. And there is a common cycle to their existence. And I want to share it with you this morning. Most of the great civilizations throughout history, have went through, in some degree, this kind of a cycle. It started out with bondage, then went to spiritual faith. From spiritual faith, it went to courage. From courage, it went to liberty. From liberty, it went to abundance. From abundance, it went to complacency. From complacency, it went to apathy. From apathy, it went to dependence. And from dependence, it went back to bondage. Where do you think our country is in that cycle right now? The next sign, globalism. The world is continuing to shrink. Everything and everyone is being tied together, whether it's through things like the internet and especially our global economy. Again, this was something that even for centuries, even when Christians would read about end-time prophecies, they could not wrap their minds around They would scratch their heads and go, God, I just don't see. Because the Antichrist is is supposed to have control of sort of a one-world government and and a one-world economy, and I just can't see how that's happening. But now we can. In fact, even in this past year, speaking about things that fall in line with the Book of Revelation. I don't know how many of you heard about the company that wanted to put a chip in all of its employees. An identification. You realize we are moving towards a totally cashless, even money society at all. Most money even today that's moved is moved over the internet. It's moved over a computer. It's not not exchanged from one pocket to another. There's so much money all over the world continually being moved in sort of cybersphere out there. And of course, there's the whole concern about, you know, hacking and all of that that you and I hear all the time. Globalism. The fact that we are all now just coming back together again. Whether it's through travel and, and technology and all of that. And we can see that happening right before our eyes. Something that happened, you know, in some remote village, maybe in Indonesia, you and I can see immediately on the internet through YouTube. And even when I was a child, it might take weeks for us to actually hear about something in that part of the world, and now we can actually see it almost real time. Again, a clear sign to me that we are living in the last day. Another one is the reality of weapons of mass destruction. There are right now over 30,000 nuclear weapons in the world right now. And there is obviously, and you and I know this, a growing number of nations who are securing those weapons of mass destruction. And it's not going to be a matter of if, it's just a matter of when nations have that viable uh, ability to be able to use them effectively. Talking about nations like North Korea and Iran. And if you read the book of Revelation, I think you will come to the same conclusion that I have. That there will be limited nuclear war and weapons used in the tribulation period. And you can see it setting up right now. The world would, have, would be destroyed by many less than the 30,000 nuclear weapons that we presently have in all these countries that do have the capability. And as I said, there's a growing number of nations that will have this capability. Nations that will seek to do terrible things by the use of that force. And even more than the sign of the reduction of the United States, which to me, for any American, does sort of cause grief, this last one today causes me the most grief. And that is that the Bible clearly teaches that one of the signs of the last days is the decay and decline of the local church. You realize that church attendance and church involvement and church engagement, even in the last 55 years since I have been alive, continues to go down and down and down every year. I think that's why Jesus even said concerning his coming back, he said, when the Son of Man comes back to earth, will he find faith? Will there still be people who really love God and are living for for him and putting him as the priority of our life i mean paul says many times in his letters to timothy for instance 1 timothy 4 1 the spirit explicitly says that in the last day some will depart the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and demonic teachings Paul goes on to say in his second letter to Timothy that the people of God, there will come a time where they will not tolerate sound teaching any longer, but will turn away from hearing the truth. And what do we see in our local churches today for the most part? So many today are set up to entertain a big crowd, but not teach sound doctrine to God's people. And it is a sign from God himself That we are living in the last days. See, as far as I'm concerned, churches like ours that have the priorities that we do of worship in the Word, we shouldn't have any empty seats. But we will and we do. Because we are living in the last days. In fact, the author of Hebrews, as we saw last week, says that even back in Jesus' time, Christians were start we're starting to abandon gathering together. Even 2,000 years ago. And Paul said to Timothy, deceivers will grow from worse to worse. False teachers and false prophets will, will increase. And false doctrine and false teaching will just continue to manifest itself in growing greater ways. And that the church will lose its priority of worship of the one true God. That we will get caught up and distracted by building up our own kingdom on this earth rather than seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness above everything else. In other words, what the Bible is really saying is, you want to know why we're living in the last days? Because Christians' priorities are all messed up. We've lost what should be the priorities of our life. And that's why God gave us prophecy. Because God said, I'm not sharing these things with you to scare you, but to prepare you. I want my people to be ready and prepared when I come. Again, here's what Jesus said. Be ready. Be prepared. For the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect Him to come. Matthew 24, verse 44. And then Paul said to the Thessalonians, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. I think the question that we need to ask ourselves based upon the clear revelation of Scripture is this. Are you ready? Are you prepared to meet Jesus? You know, he promised that I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm coming again to receive you so that where I am there, you may be also. And the very last verse of the Bible, the very last verse, you know what Jesus says to his people? I'm coming back. And I love the response of John. John says, amen, come Lord Jesus. Oh, that that would be be our heart's response. I feel like, though, there are so many Christians, it's almost like in Lot's wife's position. It's like, well, yeah, I know I should be excited about going to heaven and being with Jesus, but I've got my life down here. And and if I had to be honest, I... I'm more hurting about giving up what I've got here than going to be with Jesus. That's a sad place to be for a follower of Jesus Christ. The one thing we should desire and wish for more than anything else is to go to be with Jesus. And one day, that's exactly what you and I will do. Are we ready? Are we prepared to meet Jesus? Let's stand. As we close this portion of our service this morning, I want to remind us of something. We're getting ready to sing a song about the lion and the lamb. And in the book of Revelation, John tells us this. The lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. Past tense. Meaning that the Bible is telling us that the victory that Jesus has won for us and secured for us, it's already been won. It's already been won. There is no doubt how this is all going to turn out. It's not like the future of the earth and you and I and all of that is somehow still hanging in the balance. It's already been determined. Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, the King of kings and Lord of lords is going to descend from heaven one day and he's going to come and he's going to set up his own kingdom on this earth and he's going to rule and reign and he promises us his servants that we will rule and reign with him and this is what's going to happen. Are we ready and prepared for it? All the praise and worship and adoration we should give to the Lord. Because everything that you and I have good to look forward to from this day on is only because of Jesus. It's only because the divine warrior lamb left the glories of heaven, came here not to secure everything through a spear, but through sacrifice. He laid down his life for us, and that's what won us the victory. And so as we sing this great song of Jesus being the lion and the lamb, let's remember all that we have and all that we will have throughout eternity is because He loved us so much that He was willing to do everything for us to secure it for us for all of eternity. Are you ready? Are you prepared to meet Jesus?